What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 66 of the Mike and Dave Podcast. This is Mike, and we've got a fun, regular episode for you. And by regular, I mean one that we do every year, not one like all the others, because this is our preseason NBA tier list for the 2023-2024 NBA season. So we do that every year. It's irregular in that we will not have the usual bells and whistles, the off the top, the hot seat. I know, I'm sorry. But that's our tradition. The tier list episodes are the longer ones, typically speaking, and so we don't have time to do all that. But don't worry, episode 67 in two weeks will have all of that stuff. But today we'll just focus on our NBA tier list. So with that, I'll kick it to Dave to talk about the tier list a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So for, I think first things first, I believe with the NFL tier list, we ended up splitting that into two separate episodes because it was going so long. We are making this vow to you listeners right now. We are going to fit in all 30 teams in under two hours. And that's just going to be what happens. So um, if we skip over your favorite team, uh, we won't skip over. But if we don't talk as much in depth about your favorite team as we do about some others, I'm sorry, we can't do that for every single team. Otherwise, we'd be here for like four hours. And I'm sure that a few of you sickos out there would enjoy that. But most people are probably tired of listening to us at about the, the two hour mark is probably the max that they could do. So we're going to try to be respectful of your time and get through it a little bit quicker while still obviously going in at least a little bit of depth about every team and, and kind of our thoughts where, uh, where they're going to do or how they're going to do this year and where they're going to end up. Right. And we, as always have broken that down into five categories. So we have our championship favorites, our contenders, our hopefuls, our long shots, and then our no shots. So within those five categories, we're also going to rank those teams numerically. So at the end of the episode, you'll have every team in those five categories, and you'll also have a ranking one through 30 based on how you know we roughly expect them to do at the end of the season. For sure. So without further ado... I think we're good to go ahead and start with number 30. And I do want to say picking the worst team in the league this year was actually a lot harder than it has been in previous years when we've done it. I think there are kind of a, there's kind of a group of four or five teams at the bottom that really realistically, we could see any of them having the worst record. We just have the Pistons at number 30. um, And you know, no offense to Detroit fans, but after last season, you can't be too surprised, right? Um, obviously, Cade Cunningham missing almost the entire season, which is tough. He's going to be back this year, which is obviously a really big boon for Detroit's hopes. Um, I don't think there's any anybody out there who's thinking, oh yeah, Detroit's going to push for a play-in spot this year. But I do think that they're that they should see some improvement. They still got Bohan Bogdanovich there. Um, we'll, I mean, surely he's probably going to be traded before the trade deadline, right? Um, and of course, they're they're developing some more of these younger players as well, like Jaden Ivey, um, James Wiseman's there now randomly, Marvin Bagley, all these like 
highly drafted big men that are giving, you know, hoping to finally prove why they were drafted so high. Detroit's like, yeah, bring them all. And surely one of them is going to stick. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, we rank them 30 for a reason, probably not going to see them eclipse 30 wins. I would probably say, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's definitely going to be a, a building year and, and they're just going to be hoping to see, you know, a couple of, of jumps from a couple of their, their young, uh, star, you know, hope, hope to be star players in the future. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure they're looking at rookies like Marcus Sasser and more so Asar Thompson, hoping that they get something out of them, that they end up looking like good building pieces. Cade Cunningham did only play 12 games last season, but in those 12 games, the Pistons did go three and nine. So, you know, small sample size, maybe we'd feel differently if this were one of those, like if that were reversed, right? Where it was like, oh, the Pistons were going off when they had their best player and then he got hurt and now he's back. The reality is that just wasn't the situation for the Pistons. And just to expand on something Dave said there, like when we were talking about this beforehand, I had said like, I don't feel great about putting any of these teams at the bottom, like number 30, but I feel good about these four or five at the tail end. So whether or not the Pistons end up dead last, they don't have a shot at the championship. Hence the no shot category. One other thing to note that I kind of forgot about is that Monty Williams is now their head coach, which I think amidst all of the, the off season player movement, I forgot about the, that particular coach. So obviously Monty Williams has been, has seen some success, uh, you know, with, with the Suns in recent years, maybe that bring that, you know, brings them up from the bottom of the barrel, but I, I, I still don't think it, it matters in terms of whether or not they have a shot at the championship, like you just said, Mike. So maybe Monty Williams improves them a little bit, but they don't have the, the talent. They're not ready. Yeah. And speaking of not ready, Let's uh, stick with the Thompson family and go from Asar to Amen to the Houston Rockets at number 29. So we complained about them a couple episodes ago and their offseason. But Dylan Brooks, Fred Van Vliet, like these additions are going to make them win a few more games, but they're not going to make this team competitive. And they have several pieces in addition to those, like you got Jalen Green, you got Amen Thompson, who I mentioned, you got Alperin Sengun, like Tari Eason, like a lot of these players have the potential to make a jump. But even if they all make a jump, this still probably isn't a playoff team, not this year. Especially not in the Western Conference, because while the Eastern Conference might be top heavy and potentially have you know, two or three of the contenders, if not favorites to win the championship this year, the Western conference only has a couple of bad teams. The rest of them are all at least competitive. And so it's going to be a bloodbath, especially for the teams that are lower, you know, lower down the totem pole in the Western conference, like the Rockets. It's just, they don't really have a shot uh, this year, even with the additions of Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks. And potentially, you know, jumps from some of these other guys. 
Jabari Smith had a, a nice summer league. Maybe he can, you know, turn that into production in the regular season. But even so, it's just, it's too competitive out there. They they need a little bit more time. Um, Ime Yudoka is also going to be back coaching. Um, so another fairly big name coach, or at least one that, that got the headlines. Um coaching a you know subpar team so it'll be interesting to see you know monty williams ime yudoka like who ends up kind of uh you know leading their team to a better year and you know hopefully making their you know making their mark and turning you know kind of turning them in a different direction but they're still going to be like there's no way they're making the playoffs so they're in the no shots Sorry, Rockets. Pretty much every year we've done this. You've been in the no shots. I sense a theme, you know? Yeah. And something you said there about the West, you know, just being deeper, that's going to be a common theme for this episode where when we get to these, like, especially the lower end of the Western teams, it's like no matter how good their roster is or how much better it's gotten, they're still in the West, you know? And roughly two thirds of their games are going to be against these opponents. So speaking of number 28, we've got the San Antonio Spurs and I know what you're thinking. Whoa. Wemby didn't make them the championship favorite. No, he did not. I'm, I'm actually surprised they didn't rename the team, the San Antonio Wembenyamas personally. <laughs> um, they're, they're now going to, refer to San Antonio as the Wemby city. Uh, I'm here all day, y'all. I'm here all day. But yeah, I, even as good as Wimbanyama looks to be the couple preseason games we've seen, he's looked really good, both offensively and defensively. It's just not going to be enough. Um, I think this is definitely a year where the Spurs take a little bit of a step forward with a, you know, a bit of a new identity. They locked with Devin Vassell as well, um, but they just don't have enough pieces around them. It's definitely going to be a multi-year project, but the future looks bright. The present, not so much. True. I mean, a few decent assets there. Uh, Keldon Johnson hasn't been mentioned yet, but at the end of the day, like, Wembanyama is an amazing prospect. It's his first year. This is not going to revolutionize them. This is not going to turn them into anything more than a rebuilding team. Now, a couple years down the road, we'll see. But at 27, we have the Hornets. And last year, LaMelo Ball did miss a decent amount of time. I think he played 36 games last season. And... While he was on the court, this is a little different from the Cade Cunningham situation. When he was on the court, Hornets actually saw a bit of success. They do have a few other pieces there of note. Terry Rozier, uh, Mark Williams should have a decent season. Uh, Gordon Hayward, the veteran, still there. You know, uh, P.J. Washington, of course, uh, has his ups and downs, but we know the shot-making capability is there. But at the end of the day, like they are still, you know, Miles Bridges has been arrested again. And this team is just not at the same level without him. The reality is he is 
their second best player, and he's a phenomenal complement to LaMelo Ball's style of play. When he's not there, the absence is felt. They'll, they'll mess around and win some games. They'll have some fun doing it. We'll have some fun listening to their announcers, but they're not competing for a championship this year, and I think everyone even on that roster knows it. For sure. Really, the the catalyst for their season is Brandon Miller. I mean, there was a lot of argument between him and Scoot Henderson. Who would you prefer? The Hornets obviously believed that Miller was the guy. Well, now's the time to prove it, Brandon. Um, is now's the now's your chance, especially if Bridges isn't able to play uh, for you know legal reasons. He's going to have even more of the the workload on his shoulders, and I think he's capable of being a, a pretty solid player. But is he going to be the kind of player who's going to be able to elevate them into that play in tournament? I don't think so. Um, not this year, at least. And I, I agree. I think the the Hornets are going to be, this is going to be another one of those rebuilding years uh, where they're, you know, hoping to see a, a, a jump from a couple of their younger players, um, some minimal contribution from their veterans and kind of look, look forward to next year in a way. But I am excited to see LaMelo play again because he is really fun to watch when he's healthy. Um, staying in the Eastern Conference, number 26, the Washington Wizards, they've obviously undergone a massive change. Uh, Bradley Beal no longer being there, heading to the Suns. Um, and instead, th- this roster now weirdly being headlined by Kuzma and Poole, um, which I'm trying to think of a recent NBA, like a team in, in recent NBA history that's had a one-two punch quite like that. And I can't think of one. Um, all I know is Poole and Kuzma are going to get theirs. Um, I, I can't say that it's necessarily going to be efficiently or it's going to result in many wins, but they're probably going to be pretty interesting to watch. Um, and you know, it's, it's kind of like a similar situation to the Hornets, um, and in results wise, but it's almost they're in a worse spot because I don't really know if, um, you know, Kuzma and Poole are the kind of guys that you want to build around compared to like somebody like LaMelo and Brandon Miller. They're a little bit older. Um, you know, Kuzma, I thought it was kind of surprising that he stayed there to be honest. And I just don't really see a change from how the wizards have been in recent seasons. Like, they just haven't been good enough to make the playoffs. I don't like they've made this change. I know that they're going to have some, you know, additional picks and whatever in the future, but for now, I think this is going to be a season where they just see what they have and and kind of let Kuzman pool go crazy. <laughs> and and then they'll just kind of look to next year. Um, but should be interesting in Washington. Yeah, I should say so. I mean, the team will be worth watching a few games out of just for kicks and giggles and um I have to disagree with something Kevin Garnett said, which is that Jordan Poole is going to be like the next James Harden. I don't know about that one. Uh, he is going to put up a lot of shots. I know that he's getting triple doubles and 60 bombs left and right, but, you know, he will put up more shots, and sometimes that will be entertaining. But 
it will I mean, not lead to a lot of wins. Are there a lot of strip clubs in Washington or was he talking about like off court or on court comparison? Who, who's coming to the games? <laughs> now, this is going to bring us to our last no shot. At number 25, we have the Portland Trailblazers. You lose Dame, you lose your shot. I mean, don't get us wrong here. The Trailblazers do have an interesting lineup here. You know, that's going to be headlined by Scoot Henderson, who they did end up taking number three in the draft. They also still have Anthony Simons. They still have Jeremy Grant. They're going to be have, uh, running out DeAndre Ayton instead of Yusuf Nurkic. Like, there is talent on this roster, but they're in the West, which, you know, Dave talked about earlier, and that's really going to make it difficult for them. The reality is this is the sixth worst team, according to us, and we've only listed two other teams in the West. That means most nights we're expecting them to face a Western team better than them. That's just a tough schedule. It's not going to lead to a ton of wins. It's almost certainly not going to lead to a playoff berth, a 10-seed play-in maybe, but even then they get trounced in the first round. So, eh, like, if you're a Portland, you know, you should be happy with how you made off after the Damian Lower trade. Just know that this is not the year. Yeah, and honestly, I think it's... They have good pieces, like you said. I mean, Robert Williams as your potentially backup center, like, that's the best backup center in the NBA, bar none. Um, Shaden Sharp, I think we can expect to have him to, you know, increase his usage and continue to improve as well. But it's going to take some time for this this roster to gel as well. I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, we're going to talk about the Suns. Not really a spoiler alert, but like pretty far from now. Um, but it's one of those things where it's not guaranteed to click right away. And even though they have some interesting pieces that they got back in, in these trades, it doesn't there's no guarantee that they're all all of a sudden just going to start playing well together, especially when you, you know, you add in Scoot Henderson as a rookie, a lot of young guys, like they could potentially build something special in Portland. But yeah, I agree. This year is not quite the year. And so they're going to round out our no shots category. So just to recap, our no shots are the Pistons, Rockets, Spurs, Hornets, Wizards, and Blazers. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to get into our long shots. Okay, we are back, and it's time to get into the long shots category. So with the no shots, of course, those were the six teams that we are like, they are in all likelihood not even sniffing the playoffs. They're, they have no shot at getting in, ha, huh? because that's what the category is called. So this category is the long shots which basically means like we expect them to either make the playoffs or be at the door, right? But once they get there, you know, technically speaking, you know, once you're in the playoffs, you have a shot, you can compete, but we don't expect these teams to make that much noise. But in the playoffs, yeah, you, you have a shot. It's just a really long one. So at the bottom of this category, at number 24, we have the Orlando Magic, Paulo Bancaro, coming off one of the better rookie seasons in recent history. Not only that, picking up experience, playing with Team USA, unsuccessfully, I guess, as a team. But 
typically speaking, when players play for Team USA, especially their first time around, their next season tends to be pretty good. I would expect Bancaro to make that stride. I don't really see what about him is leading me to believe otherwise. They also have plenty of good pieces on that roster, like Franz Wagner, who continues to get better, like Mo Wagner, who continues to exist on that roster alongside his brother. Jonathan Isaac should be coming back. That'll be a welcome addition back to that roster. A handful of guards, uh, Jalen Suggs and the like, but also with the addition of rookie Anthony Black, uh, he should be a welcome addition to that team, a very good young player on both ends. I don't know that I see this team really competing with the likes of... Actually, back up. I know that I don't see this team competing with the likes of those that we'll have in our favorites and our contenders. But I also know that looking at the six teams that we've listed already, the Magic are better than them. And if any of these Eastern teams that we've mentioned so far is sniffing that play in, it is the Magic. I just don't expect much after that. Yeah, I think this team definitely has the capability of improving significantly uh specifically given how bancaro played last season also low-key the magic are like michigan south at this point um the wagner brothers jet howard caleb houston and like no offense mike but like michigan basketball hasn't even been that good the past couple seasons but they they're just like ah we don't care we're gonna keep bringing in these michigan guys um which who knows uh mo wagner Eh. But Franz Wagner has had a a great start to his career. Um, You mentioned Jonathan Isaac. I really hope that he is fully healthy um, and he's back to his previous form because when he was right and he was healthy, he was one of the best defensive players in the league. I really liked watching him play. So I'm really hopeful that this year is going to be a big bounce back year for him, him. potentially even like a, you know, comeback player of the year um, type of season. So We'll see. I think they have the capacity to make the play-in tournament if everything falls correctly. Um, I think the East, there's a little bit more wiggle room towards the back end for them to sneak in. But let's be honest, they're they're a, a couple years away at least for from really, you know, starting to, I guess, move into that next year. I feel like they've been in the the no shots tier the past couple times. They make it into the long shots tier this time. Maybe in a couple years they'll make it into the hopefuls. Uh, we'll just have to see, but they're set up for, you know, long-term success. It, it looks like at least. So at 23, we have the Toronto Raptors obviously have to have to deal with the the loss of Fred Van Vliet before that DeRozan and Lowry. So it's one of those and Kawhi obviously um, have not really been able to recapture that magic from 2019 when they won the whole thing. And honestly, I think it's not really going to change too much this year. Um, maybe that's me being a little bit harsh, but last year was a bit of a disappointment for him. I don't think there's any other way to say it. Um, you know, finishing ninth in the play and not really doing anything in the playoffs and they haven't really improved this off season. If anything, they've gotten worse because Van Vliet's not there after a really good season. So I think it's going to rely a lot on Scotty Barnes playing more like he did his rookie year rather than his sophomore campaign um and obviously siakam continuing to be a factor though he is coming into the last year of his contract so we'll see you know if the the raptors aren't playing well 
if they end up trying to move him at the the deadline um, or not. So I don't know what they're going to do there, but I can tell you that even if they make the play in like they did last year, it's probably not going to end in a, a championship. That's for sure. Yeah. At the end of the day, the Raptors are just going to be like in that kind of bubble where they win a decent amount of regular season games, probably get into the play in. But at the you know, at that point, they don't have what it takes to take that next step. Like, if we're being honest, this is probably a team that gets knocked out either in the play-in or in the first round right thereafter. Speaking of, the Utah Jazz. So, this is a team that we would expect to be competing for around the 10th seed. Now... To be fair, the Jazz, it's not that their roster is necessarily bad so much as there are just so many better teams than them in the West. Like, they've got good players on their team. Like, you know, Laurie Markkinen, it starts there, um, you know, coming off of his uh, Finnish military experience. Um they add John Collins. They keep Ochai Abaji. They still have Jordan Clarkson. Um, Walker Kessler, of course. Colin Sexton. Like, good players. But are any of them good enough to carry them, like, over that hump? Like, to take that next step? And I don't know about that just yet. Like, I feel like this team has depth to build on they have good pieces to develop i feel like if you're a jazz fan and you're you know able to come to terms with the idea that you're not going to win this year and probably not next year but you're looking ahead at the future like i would still feel good about this team you know they have assets to work with both in terms of like development for the future and in terms of tradable assets like the Jazz are fairly well positioned. It's just not their time right now, and that's okay. Yeah, as long as the the expectations are set of like, let's aim for that last play in spot. I I think they could potentially get there. Uh, but I'm interested specifically with Laurie Marketing. Can he repeat last season? It certainly seems like there's no reason he can't. But whenever a player makes that kind of step up seemingly out of nowhere it it's always an an interesting storyline it's always an interesting storyline to watch the next season after they break out is you know can they sustain it we'll see i like marketing i hope so um and you know for john collins sake i hope that he can find himself again in utah and you know can go back to being the player who theoretically could average 20 and 10. Uh, maybe he, he won't get there, but I think he could certainly be a guy who could average like 16 and 8 or so on this team. And they could actually be able to utilize him and, and everything. So I'm curious to see. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll definitely follow him specifically. And, you know, the Jazz, it'll be tough for him, but I could see them maybe sneaking into the 10th seed. So 
Moving on to number 21, the Indiana Pacers, led by Tyrese Halliburton, one of the most exciting young point guards in the game. Unfortunately, I really, I, I still think, once again, this is a team that's moving potentially in the right direction, just not quite there. Um, they're more of a mixture of veterans and young players, which also gives me the sense that maybe they're going to be able to squeak out a few more wins. Um, Benedict Matherin is, is somebody I'm looking at as a, a real swing uh, player in terms of if he can play a lot more like he did in the first half than he did in the second half, and he can um, you know, improve on the defensive end specifically, Maybe Bruce Brown can can help with some of that. I don't know, uh, but Halliburton's going to continue be good to be good. This is a team that could potentially make some noise. Um, it's it still seems like they're in that you know that bottom tier of nah, could probably make the play in, but aren't really going to do anything. It's uh, they're just going to be outclassed by some of those uh, much better teams in the Eastern Conference up near the top. Yeah, there are definitely pieces to like. I mean, I do love the addition of Bruce Brown. It was tough. I'm sure Denver's not happy at all that they weren't able to keep him. But that $22 million salary, though. <clears throat> Buddy Heald, we know the marksman that he is behind that three-point line. And Miles Turner, you know, we'll see if that's a player that's on this roster at the end of this season. Um, especially depending on the development of rookie Jairus Walker. Um, I'm also intrigued about Oscar Shibwe being on this roster. Um, may not be anything, but hey, uh, I like that he's there. You know, give him a shot. Why not? But yeah, like you said, um, this team will get wins, probably just not in the playoffs. So. Oh, Jeff. Yeah. So I did want to say one thing about the Miles Turner thing. Um, so <laughs> he came out this offseason. Um, he signed a two-year extension with the Pacers. And, um, you know, he's come out and said, like, I want to be here in in Indiana. Um, you know, I've, I've kind of gotten tired of these trade rumors like there's there's a sense of relief knowing there's some security and you can just play the game, um, and I'm like, hmm, did this actually end the speculation? Because Mike is already spe speculating: <laughs> is he going to be traded again, um, or not again? But is he finally going to be traded, regardless of the contract? We'll see. There are other teams that I, I think could use him, but we'll see if it was just. Uh, you know, a, a Phoenix Suns type thing with DeAndre Ayton where they're like, yeah, we'll we'll sign you and then we'll end up trading you away. Um, or if they actually are committed to Miles Turner being there long-term. Because at the end of the day, he is still only 27. So you've got a few more years left, well, you know, depending on, you know, health permitting. But Potential hot take? I would almost argue that he's more likely to be traded because it's only a two-year deal instead of a four. You know, it's a more movable deal. So I don't know. We'll see. 
But at 20, uh, maybe this is a team that does move uh, move some pieces around this year. That's the Chicago Bulls. Let's just say it. It hasn't worked out, and if it hasn't worked out yet, I don't know what makes people think it, this is the year that it's going to go well. Not having Lonzo Ball really hurts this team. I think Lonzo Ball, and it's sad because we never got to see this team actually play together much. But Lonzo Ball really not just adds to this team, but completes it between the designated playmaker and the perimeter defense. And those are two things that Chicago really needs. And Zach Levine, DeRozan, these are good scorers. But that doesn't, you know, simulate having a true two-way point guard on the team. Nikola Vucevic is a good player. And the three of them together, plus Caruso, you know, like they're going to get wins, just not enough. And like, I don't know exactly where they plan on going from here, but I can tell you it's not the championship. And I feel like Zach Levine is a name that we see floated in trade rumors a lot. So if nothing's happened by January, February, start looking at Bleacher Report. I guarantee his name's there. Mm-hmm. For sure. And, you know, they they ended up re-signing Vucevic three years, $60 million. That was an interesting move. Um, I can understand not wanting to lose him for nothing, but the the Bulls certainly seem to be under this illusion that, like, like you said, eventually they're going to figure it out. It just doesn't seem to me like this is going to be one of those teams that has that right combination of pieces. And... You know, maybe Lonzo Ball was that missing piece to the puzzle, like like you were saying. But honestly, who knows when we'll see him play basketball again. So it's tough. Um, they have enough, you know, good players on the roster to where I would expect them to make, you know, be in, the, in those top 10 uh, spots somewhere. But they're, they're just not really going to beat those big dogs in the Eastern Conference, are they? Like, it's just not going to happen. So... Bulls coming in as a long shot at number 20. Joined by number 19, the Brooklyn Nets, who it's kind of tough to get a read on this team. I'm going to be honest. I mean, the Bulls, we kind of know what to expect at this point. They've been underperforming every year. Their roster has remained more or less unchanged uh, for the past couple seasons. The Nets underwent a almost complete overhaul from what they were two years ago to now. Um, Totally different roster, totally different vibe. Um, and, you know, and new coach as well. Like, obviously it starts with the fact that everything, you know, their, their huge plans didn't work out with Durant and Harden and Ben Simmons. And, um, well, I guess Ben Simmons is still there, but, and, and, and Kyrie and everything. Um, I mean, <laughs> It's it's also not going to work with Ben Simmons, so that all it, it still counts. But it's just when are they going to learn? It didn't work with with KG and all those guys. It didn't work with KD and all those guys. Like stop trying to make you know start developing these players. And if you're gonna you know start somewhere. McCall Bridges is a is a great place to start. He is, uh, you know, he showed that there's a lot more to his game than just three and D. 
where in Phoenix, that's kind of what he was. It's kind of a Laurie Markkinen type of breakout in that he wasn't really put in a position to where he could show everything that he could do uh, until he was moved to a new team. And then all of a sudden he was given the keys to the kingdom. Oh crap. McCall Bridges can, is a great isolation scorer randomly. Okay. Did not see that coming. Um, so he's, he has the potential to make a huge jump, uh, you know, this season and really be the leader for that team. And I really, I, I think he, he's a good guy. So I'm interested to see how that goes. Um, you know, Nick Claxton had a great kind of breakout year last year as well. I like him at that center position. Denwoody's solid. Um, and then Cam Johnson proving to be one of the best shooters in the NBA over the past couple seasons um, needs to make sure that he can stay healthy, but they've got some, some interesting pieces. Uh, I think it's kind of hard to to say exactly how this team is going to, is going to play because we only got to, to see a, you know, 20 games or so last season with all of them. But I think they should probably make the play in as well. Uh, m- maybe again, it's, it's not quite like they're, they're, they're not quite there yet. They're in a transitionary period, but I do like the players that they have um, and they're young enough and talented enough to be able to grow. Yeah, supporting pieces like Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal, Lonnie Walker, Cam Thomas, like this team has decent depth and like if Ben Simmons plays, which is a huge if, like that's great for them probably uh because we're not talking about the playoffs yet um for goodness sake though like every summer like this is just another summer of seeing ben simmons workout videos and shit like that's gonna sway us but yeah um brooklyn for what it's worth after the trade deadline last season did finish 13 11 to end the regular season so you know winning record they have good pieces there they'll win some games probably make the playoffs probably have a shot at it blah blah or like you know technically speaking have a shot at it but not a realistic feasible one so at 19 they go which brings us to number 18 and this is the last team in our long shots category and that's the new orleans pelicans now maybe this is no back up it is really optimistic to say this but we're assuming zion health okay like I feel like that's going to be said every single season about the Pelicans, at least every season that Zion is on that roster. Uh, whenever he goes to a new team, assuming he goes to one, then we'll just say that about that team instead. When Zion is playing, he's a man amongst boys. He's an absolute menace. But when is he playing? You know, like that is the big question. In the meantime, like this team does have pieces not named Zion Williamson that are certainly worth talking about. Brandon Ingram, especially, but additionally, you've got Jonas Valanciunas, you've got CJ McCollum, you've got Herb Jones. Like, these are all good players. And Trey Murphy uh, last year um, was playing very, very well. Uh, this team is going to mess around and win plenty of games. And um, this team always seems to go on like bizarre runs. Uh, you know, maybe, oh, they've lost two of their last six or whatever. Oh, wait, now they've won like 18 of their last 24, you know, whatever. And 
that's because like this team just kind of feeds off of momentum it seems and when they hit a good spurt like they really carry that that youthful energy that you got cooking down there in the bayou you know so all of that is only enhanced by zion being available the best ability being availability and when he is available he has plenty of other abilities like the one to just push grown men out of the way like ragdolls even without zion this team is good with zion this team is pretty intimidating yeah if if we had a guarantee that zion and brandon ingram would both you know make through the season and play 65 games or so i would put them in the hopefuls 100 percent i would move them up a tier we just don't we just can't rely on that and you know it's one thing for zion to be hurt we're we're used to that but honestly brandon ingram hasn't been that much better the past couple seasons he has been very injury prone and they need those two guys obviously they need those two guys in order to get where they where they could potentially get to because the other guys around him are great role players. You know, Jose Alvarado fulfills his role very, very well, as does Herb Jones, as does Valanchunas. Uh, you know, even Dyson Daniels, to a certain degree, like he's going to come out and he's going to shut down. He's not going to really do anything offensively, but he's going to do a great job, you know, playing perimeter defense against one of your best guards. Like, McCollum, he's not going to be the number one option, probably at this stage of his career, not number two, but he's going to be a great number three option. But you need Ingram and Zion in there to be able to take advantage, you know, for CJ to be able to take advantage. So again, it just, it just comes down to health for them. If they can stay healthy, I could see them making a pretty big push in the West. They have the talent to do it. It's just, like you said, the best ability is availability. If you're not playing, you're providing absolutely zero value. Um, actually, it's negative value because the team is spending money on you that they could be spending on other players who could <laughs> actually be playing. So, uh, yeah, I honestly hope that we get to see a full season of Zion and Brandon Ingram. Just as a basketball fan, I would love to see exactly what that would look like. And the Pelicans, the Pelicans would be one of the most interesting teams in basketball if that was the case. Um, but for now, we kind of have to hedge our bets a little bit and put them at number 18, the top of the long shots. So that'll wrap up um, our second tier, um, the long shots. So to recap, we had the Magic, the Raptors, Utah Jazz, Pacers, Bulls, Nets, and Pelicans. Um, so when we come back, we'll get into the hopefuls and kind of turn the page into some teams that uh, going into this season probably have pretty high expectations. Alrighty, it's time to get into our next tier, which is our hopefuls uh, in this 2023 NBA tier list. And these are the teams that uh, we expect to make the playoffs and I think at least have a reason to be hopeful that this could be their year, whether that's, you know, they're they're an older team that is finally going to put it all together or it's a younger team that's on the rise. Um, it's this could potentially happen, but they're not necessarily in the, you know, those top few elite teams that are, you know, being favored to, to win this year. So at, at the bottom, we have the Dallas Mavericks, which I think if you're thinking about, you know, if you haven't really thought about this a whole lot, maybe this seems a bit low, but kind of here's where we stand. If you take a look at the Dallas Mavericks roster, 
there are a good amount of really solid players um, there. You know, you've got Seth Curry, Doncic, uh, Kyrie Irving, of course, um, Grant Williams is a new addition. Tim Hardaway Jr. has been there for a little while. All these players are great, but they all have one thing in common, and that's they are offensively minded players. They don't really have a single player on this roster where defense is their calling card, where, where they're defense first players. And that's a problem. I mean, the Mavericks had a terrible defense last year. I don't think they've done really much, if anything, to improve it. And with that being the case, I just can't see them really being able to compete, you know, towards the top of the Western Conference. There are way too many other teams that either have more offensive firepower or a more balanced team. Um, and, you know, think thinking of the Kings, for example, like they don't necessarily have the, I would argue that Doncic and Irving are much more like splashier like and superstar names than Fox and Sabonis. But part of that is, is also like scheme and the Kings were able to, you know, to pull off not having a great defense, but because they had an amazing offense uh, and they utilized their players to the best of their ability. We'll have to see if Jason Kidd can do that with Kyrie and Luca. We didn't really get to see a whole lot of them to play together. I I mean, they have the, the, the ability that's for sure. It's just, can they make it work? And who's going to guard, if they're facing any of these teams, who's going to guard the other team's best player? Whether that's a guard, a wing, or a big. I don't. I have no idea. You're going to have to hide Luka and Kyrie? Not to mention any of their other you know, starters, like projected starters who are all going to be average at best defensively. I mean, they're they can really play whoever offense on whoever at this point. So that's why they're coming in a little bit lower um, at number 18. The offensive firepower is there, but where's the defense? Oh, it is 17. That's why they're coming in number 17. Yeah. Even when you get to the, the centers, you know, like Rashawn Holmes, not exactly a known rim protector there. He's had a few seasons where he's averaged over one block. He's also only played 60-plus games in one of the last four seasons, and they drafted Derek Lively potentially to be like a rim protector prospect, but that's just it, a prospect, you know. Um, Yeah, like you said, the defense is suspect, and the offense, like defense is the bigger thing that gives you that consistency, not preying on the shot creation and making from Kyrie and Luca. So they'll have games where they blow out opponents and they'll have games where they get blown out. So they're just hoping that the former outweighs the latter. (laughs) Now looking at, you know, you were talking about the nets and how, you know, they're like actively refusing (laughs) to just build with the pieces they acquire, uh, whether that's through trading or the draft or whatever. So let's transition to a team that is doing well with developing the pieces they acquire, uh, building through the draft and all that. And that's the Oklahoma City Thunder at number 16. Of course, Chet Holmgren 
having uh, missed all of last season due to that injury. Uh, so this will be his rookie year, despite it being his second year on the roster. We also saw the emergence of Shea Gilgis-Alexander into one of the better scorers in the NBA last season. Uh, additionally, you've got Josh Giddy, so that makes a really good uh, backcourt there. Um, they went ahead and took a flyer on Victor Oladipo. That one just interests me. But you also have Jalen Williams and Jalen Williams. Like, I'm looking up and down this team. I didn't even mention Lou Dort. And this team has plenty of intriguing young guys, um, all of whom can take steps forward. Um, and if, I mean, look at Shea specifically, looking at what he did last year, if he takes another step forward from there, good Lord. Um, and you pair that with a rim protector in Holmgren that can also stretch the floor like he does. I mean, for all the, the hype around Wembenyama, like Holmgren is sort of like the diet version of it. You know, like he's, he has the height and the length. He has the rim protecting capability. He has the outside shot. And to an extent, he has the creation, you know, he's not at Wemby's level, but he is of that mold, you know? So this is certainly an interesting team. They did pretty well for themselves last year, 40 and 42, and that's without Holmgren. So looking at them to take that next step forward, when it comes playoff time, the experience or lack thereof rather, uh, probably going to bite them a little bit, but Hey, it's a young team. And if you're a fan of the thunder, that should be exciting for you. It definitely should be uh, a couple things. Watching Holmgren and Wimbanyama go out in the preseason was fun. Um, you know, both of them kind of having their moments. In, in terms of SGA, if he can just add a more effective three-point shot to his game, he will be unstoppable. Um, he, I think he, there's some stat, like he led the league in uh, shots from the restricted area like of all guards or something like that. Um, he real, his three point, uh, you know, attempts per game and makes per game went down significantly last season. He was like, you know what? I'm just going to attack. And it worked really well for him. Um, so adding Holmgren into the mix, um, hope I'm sure they're going to hope for a continued, uh, development from the three point, uh, range from Giddy from Dort. Isaiah Joe was a really, uh, prolific shooter, a three point shooter for them last year. So I think the thunder, are really looking like a team on the rise. Um, last year, we were kind of hating. We didn't believe it. We thought that they were still one year away. I believe in the tier list, we had them at 28. Um, and of course, they ended up making the plan. Uh, so I think, you know, in this case, we have them in the hopefuls. So they've jumped up a couple of tiers, actually, from last season. And I think we have every right to to expect that of them. They have the pieces in place um, and we can expect them to continue to grow and and move forward. So looking forward to seeing what the Thunder can do this season. Now, number 15, we're halfway there. The Minnesota Timberwolves. Again, this is a tough team to try to place. They've got, in terms of, you know, big names, you know, stars superstars they're up there with with the best of them in terms of just the names alone as we've been saying since they made that trade for rudy gobert does this actually make sense from a basketball on court standpoint 
And I think we have still yet to see if that can be the case. One thing that I think is clear, Towns is not the alpha. Gobert never was. It's Anthony Edwards' season in the NBA. After, I mean, basically becoming the alpha of Team USA in the offseason and showing that next level to his game, I think this year is the year where Anthony Edwards absolutely explodes. Um, and really the best thing that the Timberwolves can do and Chris Finch can can do is build the offense around Anthony Edwards. Uh, I think Towns can be a great supporting offensive player because uh, he can do most everything. Um, and if you can, you know, really get the chemistry going between him and Edwards, you've got something happening. Um, it's just the, the, the rest of the roster, the pieces around them, can they also fit uh, and take a step forward? I mean, Mike Conley, he's 36, y'all. Like, he he's not going to be able to give you a ton anymore. Um, you know, Nas Reed had some really solid moments last year. Can he keep that up this year and potentially play his way into a bigger role? Um, and of course, you have the, the question of health. Um, Jaden McDaniels, for the most part, stayed healthy, got injured a little bit um, towards the end of the season. We've already seen the injury issues with Towns. Um, so I don't know. It's a very interesting team. It's one that we have pretty much bang in the middle. Um, I can it's I can see it going either way, and I can see it, them actually being an average team. But they have the talent to be better than this, and they have the potential chemistry issues and on-court issues, not to mention health-wise, to fall below this. Um, it's kind of a tough team to peg. Yeah, and so dead center seems really accurate, you know, yeah. like, really appropriate. So with Gobert, you know, you're going to win regular season games and probably not playoff series. With Anthony Edwards, you're going to score a lot of points. Like with Towns, you're going to score a lot of points. Like this just feels like a good regular season team to me um, with some risks involved, but a good regular season team that I really wouldn't bet on in the playoffs unless like you got up Edwards explodes enough to, you know, paper over the uh, defensive scheme issue. But yeah, all of that said, like they'll win games, probably not series 15 seems right. Um, mm, and number 14, the Atlanta Hawks. So, we're coming down, you know, from last year where we were too optimistic. We, uh, we again, yeah, uh, and we're putting Hawks right around the middle as well. <sighs> okay, so here's what the Hawks can do. The Hawks can utilize a very strong backcourt of Trey Young and Dejounte Murray. DeAndre Hunter can, not saying he will, I hope to God he does, take a step forward. A.J. Griffin, same thing. Onyeka Okongwu, same thing. Jalen Johnson, same thing. Will it all happen? Will any of it happen? Like, it's all doable. Like, the 
there are pieces there that make you go, eh, I can see it. You know, uh, Clint Capella, another name that makes me go, I don't know if he is on this roster at the end of the season, you know? Um, now there's the salary aspect of that. While he is on the roster, he is valuable on the court. Now, whether he's a long-term fit or not, probably not, uh, is another thing. But Clint Capella, while he's on this team, is a positive impact for us. So that is at least worth considering. Not to mention Bogdan Bogdanovich, who may be in a similar um, situation there, where he may also get traded. For the time being, he is only additive to our team. Like I was saying about the Pelicans, this team is liable to go on some losing streaks. This team is liable to go on some winning streaks. And we'll see which like hot or cold streak they end up on, especially going into the postseason. That may be very determinant for the Hawks' success this season. Like, Look at the last 15 games of the regular season, and based on how those games shake out, like that might give us a way to predict the postseason. Do we make it out of the first or second round? Do we make some miracle push or do we get swept right away? Like realistically speaking, I think around seven, give or take, is a decent like the seven seed in the East is probably a decent guess for this team. Um, give or take one or two seeds. I wouldn't expect them to make that push, but if things go um according to hopes not according to plan because we're Hawks fans um it's doable it's just not really likely yeah I mean year two of DeJounte Murray and Trey Young uh year like I mean basically Quinn Snyder was here for like half a year um I am intrigued to see how that backcourt can continue to to work and play together can Trey start to be more like Steph and work off the ball and be more efficient with his play. We don't need him to be, to have the ball in his hands all the time. Like we used to. And unfortunately his efficiency keeps going down and his turnovers keep going up. Um, and we just don't need him to always have the ball in his hands to be effective it, there is a skill. I'm not saying you can just wake up one day and be a great off-ball player, specifically like you know, shooting-wise. But I I don't see any reason why Trey can't work on that, and for the Hawks to incorporate that in you know some of their their scheme and some of their plan. I think it's it's necessary to get the most out of this backcourt, and that's up to Quinn Snyder to be able to not only instill that but make them believe in it and get Trey to be on board because I have a feeling that there's a little bit of an ego thing there. Um, in terms of the rest of the the roster, uh, you didn't ma- mention to Sadiq Bey, who somehow is still only 24 years old. Not sure how, um, but he's a really big piece. I mean, he was a, he was great when he, uh, you know, came over last, se- last season. We saw him in person. Um, and, you know, he's a guy who's probably going to start um, in John Collins' place this year. I'm looking forward to seeing, um, you know, if he can continue to develop and kind of strengthen us on the, the wing position. And 
with all those young players, surely one or two of them are going to make a jump. You know, um, I still have high hopes for AJ Griffin. He's still, um, you know, just turned 20. Like he's pretty much the age of a lot of the rookies from this season. And he was a rookie last season. So there's still a lot of room for development there. It's just kind of a, a weird mix where we have guys like Capella and Bogey kind of hanging on. And we have some of these young guys like Kobe Bufkin, like AJ Griffin, who are just starting out and maybe not quite there yet. Um, and, you know, how the the season goes will kind of depend on, you know, if we see some of those older guys stick around and if those younger guys get a lot more playing time. Personally, Capella, I don't think Capella should still be on the roster. Um, we were talking about the Mavericks a little bit ago. Just trade him to the Mavericks already. Uh, like, I've been calling for that for a little while now. It just, it just makes a lot of sense. Just make it happen. But I'm hopeful about the Hawks, but I think this year we have been more realistic of what the expectations should be. They are not a contender. They are definitely a hopeful. Even though it's sad. Huh. Yeah. I, uh, I know I say this a lot, but this time I'm going to try to be true to my word. I'm going to make this quick. At number 13, we have the Clippers, and I feel like this team is just boring to talk about, hence I'm going to make it quick. The roster more or less has been the same for like four years now. Like every now and then they add another little piece here or there, like, or, you know, a Russell Westbrook, whatever. But at the end of the day, our discussion is this. They have Paul George. They have Kawhi Leonard. These are both great players. They have a good support system around them, but that support system is only going to carry them so far. If Paul George and Kawhi Leonard could play the majority of the season and more importantly into the regular season and stay healthy, this team is a very competitive looking team. That is never the reality. And so in the middle of the hopeful as they go, I'm done. Pretty much, yeah. If they could stay healthy, they could compete for the championship, but they can't. And so therefore they can just hope that they can. Moving on to number thir- or to number 12, who we, it was very difficult to do, but we had to do it. We put the New York Knicks at number 12. Uh, it's been very well documented. We're not fans of the Knicks. Um, there are a few teams in the NBA that we wish um, less success to. But I do have to say, it's been a couple seasons now where they've strung together pretty good regular season performances. And I don't see any reason why this year can't be a similar year to those years. Jalen Brunson, much to Mike's dismay, was a star in his first year in New York. Um, everything that they would have hoped he would be and more. Randall continues to... I I honestly don't know if he's good at basketball. Like sometimes I I watch him play and I'm like, "Oh, wow." And then sometimes I'm I watch him play and I'm like, "Oh, wow." You know, it's I I'm I'm still not sure about him. Um RJ Barrett needs to f- freaking finally figure out whether or not he's going to take an, that that jump or not. So far it doesn't really seem like he has. He's still somehow only 23 years old to be fair to him. 
it seems like he's been on the Knicks for forever. Obviously not. Um, I really like them bringing back Josh Hart as well. I think he's a great glue guy um, and kind of really good at some of those those elements of the game that don't get talked about a whole lot. But at the end of the day, I think this is a team that can perform pretty well in the regular season or, you know, tight defensively. Tom Thibodeau is going to work them, <laughs> work them to the bone. And then in the, in the playoffs, they're not going to have enough to really make any noise, but I think there's enough room there for them to be considered a hopeful. That and opposing teams will pay enough attention to know like Julius Randle is going left every single time. He, and if he doesn't, he's going to try to settle for a step back three. Probably won't go in. Uh, like They're going to scheme around him like they've been doing for the past two seasons. But the regular season where you can catch some teams napping, they're going to win those regular season games. They're just, you know, if they beat the Cavs, uh, in the playoffs last year in the first round before losing to the Heat. I mean, if you've been paying attention, we haven't yet named the Cavs. So there's the trend that you should be expecting here. Yeah, Nick should be good regular season. Still doesn't look like a championship team, but hey, uh, if you're a regular attendee at Madison Square Garden, first of all, share some of that money. And second <laughs> of all... <laughs> I guess you have something to be hopeful about there. Ironic as that is to say about the Knicks, but, you know, it is what it is, I guess. Now, at number 11, we have the Miami Heat. Now, when we talked about our NBA offseason winners and losers on our last episode, I named the Heat as one of my losers. So you can go back and listen to the full spiel if you want, but the long and short of it is... They watched their Eastern competition get better while they deteriorated. They lose Max Struess. They lose Gabe Vincent. They lose Victor Oladipo. They go another year without adding a piece. Jimmy Butler gets older. We watched last season Jimmy Butler not really have that much in him in the regular season. And, you know, he did his Jimmy Butler thing in the postseason, but he can only do that so many times. Uh, like, at the end of the day, this team has just gotten worse. Other teams have gotten better, and they've gotten older. I Like, they're going to be fine. It's Miami, but they've gone to the finals twice in the last four or five years as major underdogs both times on the back of Jimmy Butler balling out. That can't keep happening. It's probably not going to happen this year, given that they traded away so much of his support or otherwise allowed to sign elsewhere so much of his supporting staff. I just don't see it happening. I mean, they're a good enough team to win games, make the playoffs, win a series or two. But if it like if it was going to happen, it had to happen already by now. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they barely even made the playoffs last year to begin with. Um uh, you know, Eric Spolstra, arguably the best coach in the NBA over the past few seasons. Um, I mean, even dating back beyond that, um, when they had a much different kind of roster. Um, even he, I think, can only make the this group of players go so far. They haven't quite been able to get over the hump. And like you said, I just, 
after the monumental effort that it took last year, I don't know if they're necessarily going to have it again this year, especially like you said, with where the, the other, you know, top teams in the East got so much better and the heat were left with pretty much, you know, nothing in terms of new additions, especially when you have, you know, Drew Holiday and, and Damian Lillard and um, Porzingis and, and, you know, this caliber of player being added to teams. And you're sitting there like, um, we drafted Jaime Hawkes Jr. Like, it's it, <laughs> it's just not, go- or, you know, we signed Josh Richardson. Like, it's just not going to to equate to the same level of success i don't i don't feel like so maybe 11 is a little low for a team that made the finals that's just the way that we see it um and if it wasn't the heat then maybe they'd be even lower but there's still that capability and that extra bit of whatever you want to call it that makes the heat do more with less but realistically they're not in the same tier um we mentioned the cavaliers a little bit ago they're going to be the the first member of our top 10 at number 10 and i gotta give them credit i think they were the team that that no one was really talking about last year they came out and had a great season well a great regular season uh, 51 wins and then they somehow lose to the Knicks in the playoffs. I mean, maybe we could have seen this coming for a young group of guys. Uh, you know, Donovan Mitchell hasn't really seen a whole lot of success, of team success in the playoffs so far in his career. And, you know, Garland, Allen, Mobley, like these guys are all pretty young and, and experienced in that a- aspect as well. You know that this team is going to be hungry um, and getting better and looking back at that postseason you know, series loss and wanting to make amends this season. Uh, and I have every expectation that they can be the fourth best team in the East again and set themselves up pretty well for, you know, potentially even a rematch with the Knicks in the first round of the playoffs. So there's not a whole lot else for me to say because their, um, their roster didn't really change too, too much. Um, I'll let Mike t- talk about Max Struess cons- also because we were just talking about the Heat. The one interesting thing is that Tristan Thompson is back. Um, back as a Cav, which is where he should be. So we'll see how much of a role he actually plays. But I thought that was an interesting addition. Like, you know what? Come home. Come home, Tristan. Um, so we'll see. Come home where you are loved. Yeah. Uh-huh. Love that. I love the addition of Max Struess. You know, like take a guy from that Heat culture bring him in, uh, let him be that solid like uh, three-point shooter, contributor off the bench. He's been to the finals, as in like a few months ago. So you have that experience. But I'm also looking at like, uh, I'm not saying this is anything huge, but I'm looking on at Imani Bates that they took a flyer on in the draft, whose, of course, stock was unbelievable coming out of high school and then it just sort of plummeted but he still has the tools and the skill set to get drafted at only 19 and they take a flyer on him and there aren't many teams in the league that were in a better position to do so because they have such a complete roster 
across the board. They can just let him exist uh, with very, very little pressure and see what he develops into. And it's for that reason as well that I like the addition of Max Struess. Here comes a guy that entered a situation with no pressure and was able to develop into a $15 million a year player. I love that. Like Max Struess, I'm going to call him a veteran, but he's only 27. But I love the potential for like off-court impact that he can have on Imani Bates, as well as the on-court value that he can provide as a sniper to a Darius Garland, to a Donovan Mitchell. So I really like how this team is set up. If they get that Knicks rematch, I really hope they beat them. It'd be really satisfying to see. Um, now at number nine, we have the Sacramento Kings, and this is going to round out our hopefuls category. Light the beam, baby. So <laughs> you mentioned the Mavericks earlier as, you know, will they be able to scheme something defensively because they're going to need to to make up for those defensive deficiencies on an individual level, which is what the Kings did last season under Mike Brown, who absolutely deserved that Coach of the Year award. So glad he got it. There wasn't anyone more deserving of it than him, bringing the Kings up to a 48-win season. Incredible. And, you know, you look at their roster, and you still have that incredible pairing of De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis. Um, you still have Kevin Herter. You still have Malik Monk, who can explode at any minute. Davion Mitchell has a great backup guard. You got Keegan Murray, the sniper that he is. Like, um, this team is bringing back a lot of those key pieces. And Harrison Barnes, who is only 31. Like, he seems like he should be older than that by now. But a lot of those same, like, core players coming back to just build off of the success that they had last year. Exactly. And with that success that they had, with that taste of playoff basketball that they had, I think that, you know, the Kings are ready to run it back again this year. I don't see any reason why they can't. Um, Other than the fact that the Western Conference has gotten a little bit tougher. So it's going to be a battle for them to maintain a top three seed in the East with the, you know, the rise of the Suns, the Warriors potentially being better, the Lakers, um, you know, these teams that we haven't said yet in our tier list. Um, But I do think the Kings should still make a top six seed. And there's no reason why they won't be better than they were last year, Uh, specifically in the, in the postseason. you know, um, one of the best home court advantages in the NBA now, which is crazy, but those fans in Sacramento are loving them some Kings basketball and I love it for them. So very excited to see what the Kings could do this year as a repeat. Hopefully it wasn't just a one-year wonder. It certainly seems like they have the players uh, necessary to continue to move, you know, move forward and make that jump. So that's going to wrap up our hopefuls. Just to recap, we had the Mavericks um, at the bottom and then going up from there, the Thunder, Timberwolves, Hawks, Clippers, Knicks, Heat, Cavs, and the Sacramento Kings at the top of the hopefuls, which leaves eight teams. We will reveal the next five 
um, in the contenders tier right after this. Okay, so we are on to our contenders category. This is the category for about five teams where we expect them to have maybe not the best shot at the championship, but if if you are a fan of this team, you should feel really good going into the season because you have a legitimate shot at it. So we're going to start this off with number eight, and that's where we have the Memphis Grizzlies. Now, this team finished number two in the West last season. And before you say anything, we know John Morant is going to miss the first 25 games of the season. Hopefully that's all he's going to miss if he can just keep his hands off the weaponry um, and, you know, focus on keeping his hand on the basketball. But for those 25 games, they were able to acquire Derek Rose and Marcus Smart to, you know, help alleviate the burden of being without their best player. And that's a great consolation to it. Because, you know, not only will they help keep the Grizzlies afloat while he's gone, those are amazing players to have on that team once he's back. So, love that. With the addition of Marcus Smart, this team now has the last two Defensive Player of the Year award winners in him and Jaron Jackson Jr. One on the perimeter, one on the interior. You gotta love that. Also, like... I guess I kind of glossed over John Moran, but we know the superstar extraordinaire that he is. And uh, Desmond Bain, who has improved every year. Sure, they'll be without Dylan Brooks, but if I'm looking at the Grizzlies, or if I'm a Grizzlies fan, I'm going, we lost Dylan Brooks, but we added Marcus Smart. That sounds like an upgrade in my books. I know he doesn't start at that same position, so the roster changes, like the, the depth chart changes a little bit there, but worth it. Totally freaking worth it to me. It definitely is. And honestly, Marcus Smart is kind of just a more mature version of Brooks um, and just a better overall player who's also been in those kinds of situations. I mean, he's played in the finals before. Um, he's been in, uh, you know, on good teams. I think he's going to be a really great fit for Memphis as well. So honestly, like, we didn't mention the Grizzlies as being uh, an offseason winner, but if you think about losing Dylan Brooks and gaining Marcus Smart, like you're a winner, maybe not the biggest winner, but you are a winner in the offseason. Um, hopefully, like you said, Jaw can, can figure it out and understand the position that he's in and take advantage of the opportunities that he's been given. Um, but in terms of just on the court, like there's a lot to like about this team. And as I've kind of been saying before, this is a team that for the most part has a bunch of young players who should continue to improve, um, you know, over the course of, of this season with a few of those key veterans, um, you know, like Steven Adams, what a great guy to have on this roster, not just for his offensive rebounding and his, you know, arguably being the best screener in the NBA, but, you know, bringing in Derrick Rose, former MVP, like if there's going to be anybody who should be able to mentor John Morant, it should be Derrick Rose. Um, I mean, what, what an amazing addition that is. So I know we have a few teams above them, um, and, you know, we have our reasons for it, but 
In terms of the Grizzlies being a contender, I really do think that they are in that conversation, even with Morant's uh, suspension. When he comes back, that means he should be fresh. He should be ready to go. And And the rest of the team, especially Marcus Smart, will have had a chance to really um, ingratiate themselves um, and make it so that when John Morant comes, like, yeah, they'll have to figure out kind of how to play with, with all of them, but they'll have plenty of time to figure that out before the playoffs. Yeah. And once they're in the playoffs, you know, that's given them about 57 ish games uh, to get it all together. You know, who knows like how many of those games get played by all those players and everything, health, all that. But it's not like, Oh, John Morant is coming a week before the playoffs and like that's a scramble to get it together. Like they'll have plenty of time to make it work. And that's plenty of time to tune up for the playoffs. That should be good for them. Now at number seven, we have the Philadelphia 76ers and this one's a bit complicated. So Joel Embiid is one of the best players in basketball. Uh, MVT, MVP type of player. I mean, rating MVP. Yeah, and can do it again this year. You know, why not? We know the injury concerns every season. And, you know, Dave and I were discussing this earlier, and it's like we know what that injury is going to look like in the playoffs. I've talked about it on this podcast before. But it's getting away from what he does best, dominating in the post, shying away from contact, uh, and taking largely inefficient or ineffective shots. Like, Embiid is great into the playoffs, but typically speaking, you're not facing an MVP, Joel Embiid, when you get to the conference finals. You're facing a bit of a watered-down version of that. Uh, They do have good... Uh, supporting pieces on this team like Patrick Beverly, like PJ Tucker, Tobias Harris, Danny Green. Um, like these are good players. And as such, like this team, especially if Embiid can stay healthy, which is one of the biggest ifs that we've had on this episode, you know, the pieces are there. It is possible. Now, I haven't mentioned James Harden. <laughs> Who knows where he's going to be? I'm just going to leave it at that uh, and kick it to Dave, but that is sort of the question mark here for me. It is. Um, right now, when we're recording, it sounds like he is going to play. Um, you know, it's it's a weird situation. It seems like this is just kind of what happens with James Harden now, to be honest. Um, so even without him... I think that they can be pretty effective. And a lot of that is down to Tyrese Maxey, who is really continuing to show he is one of the best young guards in the NBA. And potentially if Harden isn't playing for whatever reason, that just gives more opportunity for Maxey to show what he can do. So I'm looking at him and then DeAnthony Melton also being a guy who's a a really, really solid defender. Um, They've got a really good mix of, you know, the star, like the superstar talent, um, the role players, the, you know, defense first guys, the guys who can get a bucket when you need, like they've got a, a really good mix of, of all of those things, which, you know, I, I think can 
contribute to them being one of the more dangerous teams in the playoffs. They haven't been able to really put it all together yet. Haven't been able to make a finals appearance, um, you know, in this kind of Joel Embiid era. And it's going to be tough for them to do so again with the Celtics and the Bucks in the East now um, being where they are. But I think the the Sixers probably have the the third best chance of potentially pulling it upset and representing the East in the finals. But obviously the Bucks and the Celtics look to be in a, a different tier than the Sixers do. So moving on to number six, a team that also has to be, it has to be said, are a major NBA offseason winner, and that is the Los Angeles Lakers. Coming off a disappointing season by their standards and by the standards that people have of LeBron specifically, um, you know, coming in in that seventh seed, um, of course, LeBron pulling his drama queen crap and saying that he might retire. Like, okay, dude, um, he's obviously back. He's, I expect him to continue to be LeBron and continue to be, you know, a top 25 player in the NBA still. We'll see once again, can he and Anthony Davis both stay healthy uh, for the, you know, the entirety or at least a a big chunk of the year and especially be healthy come playoff time. Um, Anthony Davis is one of those players. I think he gets a lot of crap for not being available, which he deserves. But I think sometimes people forget just how dominant he is on the basketball court when he is healthy. I mean, he is arguably right up there for the best defensive player in basketball when he's healthy. Not to mention the fact that, you know, he can almost score at will at times. Um, And if he can just figure it out, (laughs) honestly, you have LeBron next to you, like, do whatever that man is doing. Because when he was your age, he was not missing any games. Um, so whatever his routine is, I, if I was AD, I would you know, buy the same cryogenic whatever crap that LeBron has and and try whatever I can to, to be like him because you have all the talent, dude. Like you, you just need to, to do what you need to do in the off season, make sure you're ready. So it's tough. Um, but... All that being said, I think the team around them got a lot better, which is really, really important when you've got a couple of, you know, your superstar players that are at risk for not being there. Um, Gabe Vincent, what a big signing from the Miami Heat that was uh, a guy who can provide that steady presence um, behind D'Angelo Russell. I mean, what a great guy to bring off the bench. Christian Wood as well would be starting on a lot of teams. Probably won't be starting for the the Lakers, but I mean, another guy who's shown he can put up numbers as well and and contribute to to winning teams too. Um, D'Angelo Russell, I'm still unsure of exactly like how good he is. Um, I think that he has, he still has the talent to be great. Um, But in terms of, you know, this team, I think... he's a great fit for what they're trying to do offensively. Um, and you know, there are other guys too on, on this roster that I think are, are flyers or decent depth depth pieces, but you know, 
Rob Palinka has gotten, gotten so much crap, uh, and ended up what looks to be pulling out a masterclass in this off season. So we'll see if it all works out because it maybe it won't. Um, and maybe it'll all fall to pieces. They'll all get injured and, or be ineffective and the chemistry will suck. Uh, and we won't be able to hear the end of it, but you know what on paper and just looking at, at everything that's happened, I think they have to be viewed as contenders. A couple of things to respond to there, whether it doesn't work or it does, I don't think we'll be able to hear the end of it. True. Number two, very true. Number two, you said, you don't know how well D'Angelo Russell is going to fit. And I just have to say, I don't know how in the hell he's still 27 years old. Like, I keep looking at him and I'm like, oh, he's 32, right? Nope, 27. Like, I feel like he played for the Lakers the first time like 15 years ago, man. And, <laughs> and then I just see his age, 27. Holy crap. Like, whatever. Um, Austin Reeves coming off a good season, and like we were saying about Anthony Edwards, like we were saying about Paulo Bancaro, coming off of that Team USA experience where he was able to play pretty well for uh, for Team USA overseas. Um, I expect him to bring that experience into the fold in LA, uh, help him develop on what was a good season last year. Yeah. This Lakers team has a lot to be excited about. They were finally able to put a team together around LeBron and Anthony Davis instead of just saying, well, we have LeBron and Anthony Davis. So, gotta love that. But they are still not the best team in California. That designation belongs to the Golden State Warriors, who have set the golden standard for success at a like continued level in the NBA. Like, this is this generation's dynasty. They still have Steph. They still have Clay. They still have Draymond and they've added Chris Paul. So feelings about Chris Paul aside, like one way or the other, we acknowledge that he does take a big playmaking burden off of Steph's shoulders and to a lesser extent, the shoulders of Clay and Draymond, um, whether that's coming off the bench to at the beginning of the game, whether that's starting alongside them, we know that there will be um, minutes that are like tiered off where at some points in the game, you have Steph on the court and Chris Paul on the bench and vice versa. And sometimes they're playing together and that's really going to free up Steve Kerr to really be creative with his lineups. um, Not just on a game, like not just within the game, but on a week to week basis. Uh, keep his players more fresh heading into the playoffs, which is important for him because this is not a young team. Uh, But it is a very experienced, very savvy team. And at the end of the day, we know the shot-making capability of Steph Curry, a.k.a. it's better than anyone that's ever touched a basketball. And that kind of firepower is really difficult to overcome. It's why they've won four championships. For sure. And I'll just add one thing. Um, Andrew Wiggins really had an up and down season last year, you know, wasn't really as effective and then missed some time with an injury. Also some, you know, some personal stuff going on as well. Had to miss a chunk of the season for that. So, I mean, this is a guy who, I mean, I don't know if he should have made the all-star team, but he did make the all-star team 
and has been a very good player for the Warriors. If if he can stay healthy this year and hopefully like whatever he had going on is resolved as well, um, then what a big boost to their regular season hopes because and playoff hopes because when he came back, like he was not the same version of himself that you know we had grown to expect. So I think he's really I mean, obviously Chris Paul is the new guy, but I think Wiggins is the catalyst for the team in terms of how well they're going to do this season in a pretty deep Western conference. They've, like you said, they know how to do it. They've been there before many times. This is a team built to win now, um, potentially this year, next year. I mean, this year might actually be the last time that we see Draymond, Clay, and Steph play together. So you know that they're going to be motivated to get one more ring, um, you know, with the three of them. So uh, don't, don't count out the Warriors. That's for sure. So, in the West, we've got two teams left, and we've got two teams left in the East that we haven't talked about yet. Um, well, we're not going to put the Nuggets out of the favorites category because that's not what we do here on the Mike and Dave podcast. Um, after you're coming off a championship, so that means the Suns are going to have to be the second best team in the Western Conference, from our estimation, um, and they're going to come in here at number four at the top of our contenders. And this is tricky because we here at the Mike and Dave podcast can see how this could go very wrong. Um, <laughs> not just because KD is KD, uh, but just because there are, you know, there are teams that win championships on paper and then there are teams that win championships on the court. And this might be one of those teams that could potentially win a championship on paper and it doesn't pan out. Um, they've got all the star offensive star power, especially in the world that they need. Um, where you, when you have KD Bradley Beal and Devin Booker on the same team, it's going to be tough to stop, especially if all of them are fully healthy and firing. It's just going to be a, a case of waiting and seeing how they play together um you know can they stay healthy how does bradley beal adjust to being the number three option on a team when he's been the number one for forever it's it's going to be really interesting to watch that's for sure and i know it's they've got other pieces as well they got nurkic in that trade with ayton um but really it's going to come down to those three guys I don't have any doubt that they're going to make the playoffs. And then once you get in the playoffs, if those three guys are healthy, it's going to be really tough to stop them. Um, but again, the championship on paper versus the court, what are we going to see on paper? Maybe they should even be in the favorites category, but we have in the contenders. Mike, how are you feeling about where they ended up? You know, Feel free to clip me and say, you know, like if they end up winning it all, feel free to clip this. I don't care. It just feels like it's not going to happen to me. I don't, I can't exactly place it, but I, I think it's holdover from the Nets, you know, like Durant leaves Golden State and, you know, he won two rings there on a team that didn't need him. 
And then he goes to Brooklyn. Can't get it done, even though like that team looks good on paper. Then he goes to Phoenix. Can't get it done, even though that team looks good on paper. And here's another iteration of looks good on paper, but it's a team that hasn't done it without him. Like I, Kevin Durant has never won a championship on a team that could have done it without him. And so I, I, uh, I, I just don't see it. And so like, I feel okay about contender because I know we're not saying that they are our pick out of the West. I feel good about that. The reality is with that much star power, they're going to win plenty of games in the regular season. And if they're healthy in the playoffs, yeah, good luck. That's a lot to deal with. But it also gives us enough leeway for that feeling to be, I guess, honored, I guess, you know, like at least there's a team above them. I, I can live with that. And if they plummet, then I'll come back and clip this and say, remember when I said I have a feeling, you know, here we are. But that is as it is, you know, like they have a handful of other like good supporting like complimentary pieces. Josh Akogi, Keita Bates-Diop had a good season last year by at least by Keita Bates-Diop standards. Uh, I, the uh, addition of Grayson Allen, while I don't love in terms of Grayson Allen because he's a douche, um, I think it is good to add that player to this roster. I feel like that's a nice addition for them. But I, I feel okay with top of the contenders, but not into our favorites category. And that's actually going to finish our conversation on the contenders. So to recap that, we had at number four, the Phoenix Suns, and then going down the Golden State Warriors, the LA Lakers, the Philadelphia 76ers, and the Memphis Grizzlies down there at eight. So we're going to take one more break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the three remaining teams to put in our favorites category. So stick around. Okay, now it's what you've all been waiting for. It's the favorites tier. We've got three teams left. The Bucks, the Nuggets, and the Celtics. And no, it's not in that order. Um, I intentionally messed up, messed it up so you wouldn't know. Um, but I will go ahead and say that number three, it actually was the same, is the Boston Celtics. We don't need to go in great detail about their offseason signings and everything. We did that in the last episode, so if you haven't already, um, you can listen to that for what we thought. But basically, yes, they now have Drew Holiday. They replaced Marcus Smart with Drew Holiday, and they added Chris Tapps Porzingis. I mean, this is a star-studded starting lineup, and one that seems to be pretty complete across the board in terms of uh, scoring, defense, um, veteran leadership, uh, you know, you, you name it, they, they look like they have it, um, as well as the, you know, the experience in the finals as well. And Drew Holiday coming in, having won the finals, like the, I really like the look of this team. I think it's going to be an absolute dogfight at the top between them and the Bucks and, that's really, to me, that is the number one story of the season, the uh, the storyline of the season this year. Who is going to come out on top? Who's going to be the number one seed? And yeah, they didn't make the trade with each other, but when you have Drew Holiday going from the Bucks to the Celtics, it at least to me, it, it, it all of a sudden it becomes personal, you know? Um, 
especially if I'm Drew Holiday, I'm like, oh, so you'd rather have Lillard than me? Okay. Um, if we meet in the if 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 the Bucks and the Celtics meet in the Eastern Conference Finals, like we're expecting, and Drew Holiday gets that uh, that assignment to guard Lillard. I am sitting down and I am watching all of those games because that is going to be must-see television um, for any, I think, really any NBA fan. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what the Celtics look like this season. I obviously expect them to be very, very, very good. Um, I didn't even mention Derek White. What an amazing season he had um, and playoffs that he had made Marcus Smart expendable before they even realized that Drew Holiday would be available. So... um, you know, they're, they're swimming in riches. And I mean, not just because of that contract they gave Jalen Brown, by the way. Oh my goodness. Um, but, but yeah, I am very intrigued to see what they're going to look like this year and specifically in the playoffs. Yeah. The Boston Celtics had a phenomenal off season and I had said this on episode 65, but their biggest competition in the East is the Milwaukee Bucks with their acquisition of Damian Lillard and what they get in Drew Holiday is literally the perfect answer to him when you get the arguably the best perimeter defender in basketball. I'm giving him that. I know Marcus Smart exists. Drew Holiday, for my money, I'd rather have him. Uh, Not just because he's a better offensive player. Just ask, like, you watch videos, interviews around the league. They're giving credit to Drew Holiday. Like, this is an amazing addition for them and like up and down their roster. They just look incredible all the way around. Yeah. It should be a conference championship between them and the Bucks. And if it's not one of two things has to have happened in my mind, one, someone got injured or two, someone messed up. Like it's gotta be this, these two teams, right? Um, looking at the Bucks who we have at number two, by the way. Um, if you're if you're a Celtics fan and you're like, wait, you just said all that, but there's you're going to put Milwaukee ahead of us? Yeah, we are. Um, <laughs> let me tell you why. Because Milwaukee, unlike Boston, has done it recently. <laughs> like, ultimately, that's kind of what it comes down to. I mean, obviously, Dame is amazing, and Giannis is one of the... Th- top three, four, five players on the planet on both offense and defense. They won the championship in 2021 on that core of Giannis, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, uh, who has basically been upgraded to Damian Lillard and Brooke Lopez. So those major pieces are either there or better. And I'm sorry, Boston, you haven't done it yet. I'm not saying you can't. We put you number three. But Milwaukee has done it, and they got better. So that explains them being at number two instead of Boston. But goodness gracious, that needs to be the conference finals. It should be one of the better, assuming it is, that should be one of the more entertaining um, or one of the most entertaining conference finals in recent history. I completely agree. So... I'm already uh, buying the popcorn. I'm getting it ready for 
I mean, that's so many months away. Um, I'm not actually doing that. <laughs> it's but stale hospital. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say that's a terrible idea, David. Don't do that. Um, no, but in all seriousness, yes, very much looking forward to this matchup. The East, it's going to be real tough for anybody else to to make it through these two teams. That's for sure. Now we've come to number one, and if you've been listening to us for any sort of time, you should know when a team wins the championship and they don't lose you know many or any key pieces we put them at number 1 again for the next year maybe it doesn't mean that we expect them to repeat uh like 100% sure because as you've just have heard the bucks and the celtics made big improvements and they should be very very tough to beat however not not to mention the suns too However, the Nuggets are still the reigning NBA Finals champions. They still have, for my money, the best player on the planet in Jokic. And really all they lost was Bruce Brown, which I don't want to discredit that because he was a big part of their success. I think that they can do it without him. Uh, They can do it all over again without him. Um, Jamal Murray, I mean we need to do our top 25 NBA player list um, as well before the start of the season. And honestly, I'm looking at Jamal Murray and I'm like, does he make it in there? Uh, Because last year was such an amazing bounce back year for him, you know, especially in the playoffs. I mean, what a player, what a partnership that he and Jokic have. It's just really fun to watch, man. It really is. And uh, based on how, how they performed in the playoffs um, as well as the regular season, I mean, pretty much, dominant the whole time like there's there's no reason for me unless Jokic was really partying too hard um somehow I feel like he's going to be fine um so yeah I'm expecting the Nuggets to have an amazing season again this year and unless the Suns really are as crazy as they might seem on paper like there there are other teams too that that could give this the Nuggets a run for their money but I will there would not be a surprise to see the Nuggets back in the finals again next year yeah, I mean, Jokic and Murray, one of the best, if not the best, duo that we have right now. And yeah, I agree about Jokic. Like, I was going off on Giannis about how he's one of the top players on planet Earth. But yeah, the way Jokic has been playing in the past three seasons, let's say, I would put him there too. Um, the loss of Bruce Brown hurts. I'm looking at Christian Brown and thinking maybe he takes that step up because he was playing well in the finals. Um, Maybe that has something to do with why they were willing to let Bruce Brown get away. Uh, They saw what they had in Christian Brown and thought, why not? Who's to say he doesn't take that step forward? And who are we to say that he won't either? It is the Mike and Dave way. How you said, we put the champions back on top if they're not missing anything major. No offense to Bruce Brown. But Nuggets, whether they repeat or not, we know that that's historically unlikely. I think we do them the honor of putting them back at number one uh, to really go into next season. But that is going to actually wrap up our preseason 2023 NBA tier list with the Nuggets at number one, followed by the Bucks and the Celtics. 
So yeah, so thank you for, you know, assuming you're still here, if you're listening to this, thank you so much for uh, hearing us break down all of these teams. Of course, we are very much looking forward to the NBA season tipping off uh, in just a few days. We'll see if our Hawks can can do anything. Um, but as you would have just heard, the the top dogs are really, um, really intimidating right now. Uh, and honestly should make for some great basketball. So looking forward to that. Um, looking forward to hearing um, what you guys think of the tier list. Were we way off on any particular team? Let us know on social media at Mike and Dave pod. We'd love to hear. Um, and of course, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to um, our podcast on Spotify Apple, Google, um, for any of our upcoming episodes as well. Absolutely. Uh, the five-star review, the follow, all of it. We appreciate it all. We appreciate you listening. Uh, come back in two weeks for episode 67. But until that point, this has been Mike. This has been Dave, and you've been listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. Podcast.